Welcome to In the Oil Patch, presented by Shale Magazine, broadcasting from the Oilfield Expert Studios. Oilfield Experts, where you get the right products right now. In the Oil Patch is where, together, we explore topics that affect us all in oil, gas, business, and in your community. Every week, your host, Kim Bellotto, will visit with the movers and shakers in this fast-paced industry. You'll hear from industry experts, elected officials, and many more right here on In the Oil Patch. Welcome to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. I'm your host, Kim Bellotto, and today we have a great show lined up for you. We're going to be joined by Jack Belcher in Brent Greenfield, who are managing partners at Cornerstone Energy Solutions. But before we bring them on, I'd like to bring on David Blackman, the editor of Shell Magazine. David, welcome to this week's show. Hey, it's a beautiful day in Texas. You and I talked off the show and said, you know, we should really try to do a show around as we're putting 2019 in the rearview mirror, getting ready for 2020. Some of our shows should be focusing around some of the really great milestones that we saw happen in the energy sector. And so that's what this show is going to be about. And then, of course, later on, we're going to be joined by Jack Belcher and Brent Greenfield from Cornerstone Energy Solutions. So, David, let's jump into, you know, overall, the U.S. production for oil and gas have both set new records in 2019. This was the third straight year of natural gas and the second straight for oil and gas on just topping the charts. Is this a trend, though, that we're going to continue to see in 2020? Do we? It's, is it going to be like the stock market where it just keeps toppling itself yeah. over and over and over? Because that's well, really good well, news well. if it is. <laughs> Sure hope the stock market keeps doing that too. Yeah, I, I do think so. Yes, I think next year the industry in the U.S. will set another you know record for overall production here in the United States. It's been an amazing progression, but I do think the the rate of growth, as we saw this year, the rate of growth this year, we we set new records, but it was the pace was about half the rate of growth as it was uh, in 2018. So so it's the, the growth is slowing down. It's still growing, expanding, but, but the pace of expansion is slowing. And that's a good, that's a positive thing, actually, because uh, it is a global market. And we don't want to oversupply the market so much that prices collapse and then the whole industry collapses for a while. So, but yeah, it'll continue to grow next year because demand is going to continue to grow. Uh, particularly now, you know, we we saw uh, earlier in December, the U.S. and China now have reached this trade agreement, and and you're going to see a lot of the tariffs. In fact, uh, the tariffs on China, um, part of the Chinese tariffs are going to get cut in half, and Chinese China is is relieving some of its own tariffs on U.S. goods. And so that's going to create additional quicker economic growth in China and some of those Asian countries, which will in turn increase demand for, for oil and natural gas. So so that's good. You know, it, I think we can anticipate the economy is going to expand at a, a, a more rapid pace globally, and that will create new demand for, for oil and gas and eat up some of this surplus in production that we're seeing around the world. 
But, yeah, I do think it'll continue to grow in the U.S. next year. It's going to be probably a a year similar to what we saw this year in terms of the health of, of the industry. And, uh, you know, that's not a great thing. Uh, we've had a substantial number of bankruptcies this year in the industry, and, and there will be more next year. But overall, the industry's been pretty healthy this year, and I think next year will be similar. So would you say, though, as an expert in this area, it's quite difficult for the average person to look out and feel that, oh, we're going to see an increase, and yet everything you hear and everything you're seeing is saying the opposite. And what I mean by that is if we're going to continue to see these great records of uh, natural gas and oil that just keep rising, but yet we keep seeing that because of these uh, records and production prices, it keeps these things so low that we start seeing these uh, bankruptcies and we start seeing a lot of uncertainty in the oil and gas sector. And it almost seems like something's wrong here. Does that make sense? Like, well, well which is it? Uh, how can you have both? In this, in this specific oil and gas sector, you really can have both. So try to break it down so, so our listeners can understand why you're actually going to see both, and they make perfect sense. Yeah, and, and it does. And it's because the industry is transitioning, and it has been transitioning for a decade now from, from an industry focused on conventional resources and sand, sandstone and limestone formations to this shale-focused industry, which is a, a, a different kind of resource. It's, it's more expensive to drill, and, and, and the decline rates in the wells are quicker, and so you have to drill more to maintain production. And, and so it's, it's, the industry's been in this transition phase now for a decade. Uh, and and it's it's a it's a new kind of thing, and, and we're still shaking it all out in the industry. And so what you're seeing, yes, there there are bankruptcies for for companies that are not as efficient in what they do as others. And you're seeing going to see, I think, in the coming years, more and more consolidation. Uh, you're going to see a, a number of these smaller companies be gobbled up by bigger companies, and we saw some of that this year with Oxy buying Anadarko and some other big major consolidations. That's going to continue and uh, and probably continue for another decade before it all gets shaken out. It's it's a slowly evolving process. But, but we're transitioning from a conventional play industry to a non-conventional play industry. Uh, from a sandstone and limestone-based formation industry to a shale-based industry. And and that just takes a, a long number of years to, to all shake out. But uh, it's it's part of being in a free market and a, and a non-state-owned industry. And, and uh, yes, there have been bankruptcies and there will be more. But overall, the industry is fairly healthy and will continue to be fairly healthy next year. Let's drill down just a little bit more. Tell me how much of the world, the way that they're operating in their sectors in oil and gas and geopolitical, how much of that, which is out of the hands of any operator in North America, still affect what's happening here? 
in the United States and how it, it actually affects us, too? Or does it? Yeah. Well, it does, especially on crude oil, you know, because that is a global market, completely global market. And, um, you know, the health of, of the business in South America and the Middle East and Africa certainly impacts the health of, of the business here in the United States because it's a global market and there's a constant balancing of supply versus demand. Um, we've been fortunate over the last several years. We've had a growing global economy, although that slowed down this year. Um, the hope is, I think, that the, the lessening of the tensions in the trade war that's been going on may help some of these Asian uh, economies start to recover and grow more rapidly, which will increase demand. But, uh, you know, it's, it is a global market. Uh, natural gas is a little different um, because while it is something of a global market, still uh, U.S. gas prices are set on the U.S. market and not on a global market. And uh, the international prices are set on, on other factors outside of the United States. So you still have this situation in the United States where natural gas has not quite made the transition into a global economy or a global commodity. And, and our market here in the United States is significantly oversupplied because we just have this wealth of natural gas, and that's not going to change anytime soon. Um, so gas producers are pretty disadvantaged, really, uh, in this current market state. And, uh, you know, it's so cheap to produce and, and so cheap to use. Uh, the good part of that is it's created this renaissance in, in the fertilizer and chemical industries here in the United States have all come home whereas over the previous 30 years they went overseas. So it's, it's a balancing act that never ends, and uh, it's just kind of the situation we're, we're in here currently. I couldn't agree with you more. And when we talk, it's usually talking on prices, and one week we're talking a uh, different price range, so it's always yeah. uh, changing. When we get back from break, David, I want to change gears and talk a little bit about exporting. You're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show, and we'll be right back. This is Texas Railroad Commissioner Ryan Sitton with your Energy Minute and a short review of this year's energy statistics. The Texas Railroad Commission averaged 244 drilling permits per week this year, a small drop from the 2018 average of 251 permits per week. Texas had 531 drilling rigs running at the beginning of this year, but finished at 403. West Texas Intermediate Crude averaged $57.02 per barrel this year, off from the 2018 average of $64.90. The high for WTI for the year was $66.30 a barrel on April 23rd, while the low was $46.63 a barrel on January 1. NYMEX Natural Gas, the high was $3.49 per MMBTU, while the low was $2.10 just this week. Hi folks, Alvin Bailey here. Did you know Agreco is proud to sponsor In the Oil Patch Radio Show? Agreco has served Texas oil fields for over 10 years, supporting producers with temporary power to get their product to market. When utility power is not available, Agreco is your reliable alternative. They service everything from pump jacks with a single 200 kilowatt unit to massive gas processing facilities requiring 50 megawatts or more. 
Agreco is your dedicated engineering partner for diesel and natural gas generators, as well as battery power solutions. Call Agreco today at 1-800-AGRECO. That's 1-800-A-G-G-R-E-K-O. The vision of the Women's Energy Network is to be the premier organization that educates, attracts, retains, and develops professional women working across the value chain. Also known as WEN, our mission is to develop programs that provide networking opportunities and foster career and leadership development of women who work in the energy industry. Thousands of women are breaking ground in energy industry careers every year, and 4,000 of them are already members of the Women's Energy Network across our 14 chapters. Members receive exclusive access to mentoring, job boards, group discussions, member-only networking events, expert speaking engagements, and more. Join today by visiting womensenergynetwork.org slash Houston or call 1-855-390-0650. The Women's Energy Network, empowering women in energy. And we're back. You're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. Our guest today is David Blackman, the editor of Shell Magazine. David, I asked you if we could do a show with you on trying to look at some of the great things that happened in 2019 or some of the more memorable moments in oil and gas as we're putting 2019 in the rearview mirror and looking forward to 2020. And so, of course, there is the story of exports. Uh, We covered it a lot, oil, uh, both in uh, oil and in natural gas, uh, in the form of LNG. Again, uh, both set records as well. Uh, it seems like every month it was uh, setting a record. Um, and so I guess in Texas, of course, there's a lot of uh, LNG expansion going on. So I want to tell me a little bit about the Texas place and how much of a role was exporting playing in this space and some new announcements that have also been made here in the near future on LNG. Yeah, so you know, Texas does is a huge uh, contributor to the exports of both oil and natural gas uh, in, in the form of LNG. Uh, it, it, the, the centerpiece of that, of course, is the port of Corpus Christi, uh, which is the the largest crude oil exporting port in the United States. But the port of Houston also exports a ton of natural gas and and uh, crude oil. Uh, Freeport has a growing, rapidly growing port presence. On both oil and gas, and then, and then Brownsville, you know, which recently announced three different new projects on, on LNG and crude oil exports down there in Brownsville that are going to kick off this year or in 2020. Um, and so Texas, and, and 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 of course that's a natural progression because so much of the production in the United States is centered in Texas, you know, the Permian Basin and the Eagle Ford Shale. And the Barnett Shale, which is still one of the largest natural gas-producing basins in the United States. The Haynesville Shale uh, up in in northeast Texas produces a tremendous amount of natural gas that goes to exports uh, facilities along the Gulf Coast. Uh, And so Texas is just the, the, the centerpiece, basically, for the oil and gas export industry in the United States. And... uh, is, you know, all those ports that I mentioned are, are continuing to expand very rapidly. Uh, the Port of Corpus Christi has three different projects going on right now, um, and Brownsville as well, Freeport as well. 
So that's only going to continue to grow as U.S. production grows, um, particularly in the Permian Basin. Uh, the the amount of U.S. exports is going to continue to grow. We we are going to finish this year with the United States being the uh, fifth largest exporter of crude oil now globally. Um, we'll probably finish next year with the United States being the fourth largest exporter of crude oil globally. Um, and and, and where we'll were we six to- years ago? Go back six, six years, years ago, we weren't even in the list, I don't think. You know, right. It's, it's all happened, and, and I think it's, you know, it's always important to go back and remember that the key event on this mm-hmm. happened in the final December uh, of Barack Obama's term in office in a budget bill. Um, members of the House and the Senate got a provision put into an omnibus budget bill uh, that repealed the ban on crude oil exports that had been put into place during the Jimmy Carter administration in 1977. Uh, and and from the moment of that repeal until today, our, our crude oil exports have gone from essentially zero to the fifth largest exporting country on the face of the earth uh, in, in three short years. I mean, uh, it's it's... It's just, just incredible. I'm sorry. It wasn't. I'm sorry. Not in, in 2017, 2015, in four short years. Right. In four short uh, years. It was right. just, it exploded. Uh, I 2017. I apologize. And, um, you know, as it exploded, so did probably so many listeners uh, who are hearing this for the first time and saying, oh, my goodness, listen to all these LNG facilities coming online and, um, and the rapid yeah. expansion under a Democratic leadership. But, you know, here's the real point is, would you prefer it to be the United States or would you prefer it to be another country that may or may not have the United States interest at heart? And does that not align us closer to having uh, less reasons to go to war than uh, before? I mean, you ha- oh. and are we not leading the way in technology and how uh, we are able to pull these resources out in a way more environmentally friendly, cleaner way than any other country on the planet would be doing? And are the model citizens of teaching other countries how to do it in a better, greener way? So, well, that's right, and and people need to remember that um, you know we we saw this year all these attacks. Uh, between Iran attacking Saudi facilities in the Middle East that 10 years ago would have resulted in a major conflagration in the Middle East with the United States involved. Uh, but because we are now so energy independent here in the U.S., the Trump administration was able to calm the waters and deal with the consequences of that uh, by placing new sanctions on Iran for those attacks you know, and avoiding any kind of uh, military conflict. The United States simply does not have a compelling national interest anymore in going to war over oil in the Middle East. And it's because we're producing so much of our own oil and gas here in the United States now, to the point where we're now one of the biggest exporting countries in both both products. So it, it not only changes our, our energy picture here at home and makes gasoline cheaper at the pump and our heating bills cheaper in our homes, but it also keeps our country, you know, out of needless conflicts 
in other parts of the world. So it, it's an, I couldn't agree it's an with you more. I couldn't agree with you more. And people's heads do not need to explode anymore on this topic, if you will. <laughs> David, when we come back from break, I want to get on the topic of pipelines. You're listening to in the Oil Patch Radio Show, and we'll be right back. Psst. Hey, you. Do you want to join the fastest-growing oil and gas network in Texas? Ma'am, I'm all for growing my business, so you've got my attention. What is it? TEAK is the Texas Energy Advocates Coalition. They hold business mixers to help businesses grow and network. Any cost to join? For the next 90 days, it's completely free, no charge to join. But they do want like-minded individuals to attend who are interested in growing their business and networking. Well, I want to join. Where should I go? Go to shalemag.com slash Teak and click on the join link. Enter your information and we'll get you set up. Join the Texas Energy Advocates Coalition at shellmag.com slash teak today. Any business can benefit from advertising to the oil and gas industry, but it's really important to partner with a marketing company that has a proven track record with this growing industry. Shale Oil and Gas Business Magazine is the one-stop shop that'll keep you in front of the customers that you need to grow your business. So let's start growing your business in Texas. Email us, info at shalemag.com. Again, that's info at shale, S-H-A-L-E, mag, M-A-G, dot com. Or you can call us, 210-240-7188. Again, that's 210-240-7188. And we're back. You're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. Our guest today is David Blackman, the editor of Shell Magazine. And David, between break, we were talking about uh, the LNG expansion greatly being expanded in Texas. Pipelines are also a very big topic. A lot of people don't understand the necessity for pipelines. Uh, It's been a big story all year long and the year before. Tremendous expansion in Texas. But it's also a completely different story in New York and in the Northeast with Governor Andrew Cuomo, who has had a major negative uh, impact, if you will, on the consumers up there. What is going on up there in New York? Yeah, you know, and this has been ongoing for several years now. Governor uh, Cuomo of New York State has... uh you know, not only disadvantaging his own consumers by refusing to allow the the industry to build new pipelines to bring natural gas into New York City in particular, Long Island and, and that part of the state that's almost entirely dependent on natural gas uh, for their public utilities. Uh, but he also refuses to allow pipelines to be built across his state to the state's north and east of New York, the, the whole New England area. Massachusetts, Connecticut, Rhode Island, Uh, you know, those states, in order to have a a pipeline come into their state from the Marcella Shale region in Pennsylvania and Michigan, you have to build a pipeline across New York, and Cuomo refuses to allow that to happen. So we have the spectacle again this winter. We'll we'll have uh, those states, you know, we'll be seeing, seeing LNG tankers sailing into Boston Harbor uh, from the Middle East, from Russia bringing natural gas uh, that, that's going to cost into you know, the triple United what, what States. Marcellus gas would cost them uh, because of Andrew Cuomo and his recalcitrance on that issue. And it's really terrible for the consumers up there. It's a tragedy. It's a tragedy that we're seeing um, outside the United States bringing in natural gas, like you said, Russia. 
Meanwhile, in Texas, <laughs> let's start talking about, um, we were seeing also a pipeline bottlenecking occurring out of West Texas, Permian Basin. Um, and that has almost but uh, ended now currently, I think, as they're starting to come yeah. online. But what are the key roles that uh, public policymakers have been playing to help in this area to come out with a happy outcome? Well, you know, I mean, it starts with the governor. Uh, Greg Abbott and his leadership, uh, the, the railroad commissioners, you know, have all done everything they can to ensure these pipelines uh, were able to to obtain their permits in rapid fashion uh, at the general land office under the leadership of George P. Bush. A lot of those permitting processes have to go through the Texas general land office. Um, you know, the TCQ, the Council on Environmental Quality here in Texas, it has really been very efficient at issuing the permits necessary for these pipelines to get built. And, and so it's all a government effort here in Texas where you have a state government and local governments, for the most part, who know the importance of getting this energy to market and have you know, all these state and local officials coming together to, to ensure these processes take place in a very rapid manner. You, you know, we, we have had four major pipelines open up just in, in 2019, where you could not have achieved that in any other state uh, in the United States, the way that has happened in Texas. And it has prevented a major bottleneck from forming um, and, and preventing that oil and gas from, from coming out of the Permian Basin. And had those pipelines not been built, we'd all be paying quite a bit more for gasoline and for heating our homes this winter than we're going to be paying as a result of those things getting built. So it's you know, it's just uh, one of those stories that doesn't get told in our news media much about but you know, we how the will state tell government it. in Texas really is efficient at getting these things done. We will tell it. And, you know, last, the rainy day fund raises billions yeah. of dollars for Texas. <laughs> That's what keeps our economy strong. Uh, oil and gas is funding this state uh, hands down, and uh, we need to realize that and take care of it. You're going to stick with us while we uh, join in our next guest, Jack Belcher, and Brent Greenfield with Cornerstone Energy Solutions. You're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show, and we'll be right back. Remember this name, Oil Field Experts, to locate any part, any time for your automotive or oil field equipment needs. Oil Field Experts' specialty is those hard-to-find oil field parts for your fleet maintenance needs, and we've been providing those parts and accessories to keep your tools turning since 1965. From the auto repair shop to the pump jack, Call us for the right part right now. Write down this number, Oil Field Experts, 210-471-1923. Again, that's 210-471-1923. And visit us on the web at theoilfieldexperts.com. Farmers and ranchers are the hardest working people on earth and deserve a side-by-side vehicle that works just as hard. That's why Yamaha makes the Viking an all-new Viking 6, the world's first true three- and six-person UTVs assembled in America. Ranked number one in drivetrain durability, Viking outworks and outclasses the competition in features, comfort, and off-road capability. For more, visit YamahaViking.com. Most dependable claim based on a 2013 Yamaha Source side-by-side owner study. And now it's time to welcome on Jack Belcher and Brent Greenfield, who are managing directors 
for Cornerstone Energy Solutions. Thank you for joining us on the show, gentlemen. And we're also being joined by the editor of Shell Magazine, David Blackman. Welcome to the show, gentlemen. Thank you, Kim. Good to be here. Thank you for having me. So it's a treat to have you guys on the show for many reasons. Most importantly, though, you guys really have your finger on the pulse when it comes down to energy. You guys provide a lot of solutions for a lot of big guys, if you will. And so I'm glad to have you join David and I on the show. So, Jack, why don't you tell us a little bit about what you and Brent are doing at Cornerstone Energy Solutions? So Cornerstone Energy Solutions is a full-service advisory firm that advises energy clients in the area of government relations, regulatory affairs, communications. We also advise clients on sustainability, environmental social governance, and other uh, areas uh, that uh, energy uh, companies are concerned with that uh, that affect their business. Uh, So our clients are across the spectrum, upstream, downstream, midstream, and um, we're uh, very much focused on full-service solutions for our clients. Makes perfect sense with such turbulent waters occurring right now. I think a lot of the um, energy sector are looking for time-tested, if you will, companies that really have a good understanding and, of course, bringing forth solutions. Um, I want to ask you guys, since this is what you guys focus on in practice, I want to address some of the biggest issues that the energy sector has been facing, if you will. Let's address, uh, this is a discussion that David and I probably speak every single show, and that is the chronic low commodity prices that the industry has been facing, and of course, the impacts that it's having across the energy spectrum. Tell me a little bit about what your thoughts are. What's going on here? Sure, um, absolutely, and it is a chronic problem, and we've seen it for a couple of years now. It continues to hurt margins, and now most producers are looking at, have gone through a budget cycle, they're reducing their budgets for 2020, increasing efficiency, cutting spending, more focus on core assets. Um, but that's impacting exploration, and uh, so most exploration budgets are cut back. Uh, most companies are trying to keep up production, um, but over time, that cycle is going to be impactful when exploration budgets are uh, decreased. Of course, the problem is oversupply, and so, um, you know, one of the ways that oversupply is dealt with is, is, is cuts in exploration and production. Obviously, we had the OPEC meeting here uh, earlier in the month and where they announced that they're going to be cutting another um, half, a, half a million barrels a day, and the OPEC Plus agreeing to do that through March. Uh, and uh, then we've got Saudi Arabia... Uh, promising to continue to maintain its voluntary unilateral 400,000 barrel a day cuts. But that these cuts alone are not enough really to deal with the current supply and, and demand uh, situation. So pressure is going to continue on the exploration production and the services supply sector that have been impacted um, last year and they'll continue to be impacted as we move into this year. And just one other note on the geopolitical front to add to Jack's thoughts, uh, we've certainly seen some recent positive developments on the trade front uh, with the agreement between the U.S., Mexico, and Canada that looks like it's slated for passage in Congress and presidential signature as well as the, the phase one trade agreement with China. Uh, certainly uh, positive when we look at the, the world of energy uh, and what that means uh, 
trade and allowing U.S. energy to go abroad, especially when we look at what's happening in Mexico, where they're considering a ban on hydraulic fracturing. We're seeing our natural gas exports continue to grow. So uh, that's positive. But as Jack said, uh, it is a challenging time uh, with all the different factors in play and, and the low price environment we've been in. Yeah, it certainly is. Let's, let's, let's focus in on the challenges in raising investment capital here for a minute. You know, another, this is another one of the big issues that arose during 2019. Does your firm see this as a long-term trend for the industry that it's going to be facing for years to come? Well, it is a long-term trend, um, and there are several factors involved here. Um, investors are souring to fossil energy investments. We saw this first with institutional investment investors like pension funds. Uh, that have been, uh, many of which have, have uh, completely uh, eliminated their investments in fossil energy. And that's grown to uh, broader parts of the investment community. So as uh, we see um, this general trend of, uh, of a divestiture or, or withdrawal of investments from uh, fossil energy, um, there are other factors as well. Um, one of those is just climate in general, um, and that's a big reason why um, some of those funds have, have uh, withdrawn their investments. There's also uh, a belief by some, uh, an incorrect belief, that fossil is going to be phased out within the next decade or so. And then finally, I mean, there's uh, investors want returns, and, and the, uh, the oil and gas uh, sector has not had returns that have been as high as other sectors. It hasn't been competitive, and it's focused on growth, and investors want returns. So all of these things have, have made it very difficult um, for companies in the um, oil and gas industry, in the fossil energy industry, to raise uh, investment capital and to compete against other sectors that might more, be more attractive to investors. Well, you know, gentlemen, talking about that, we've done quite a few shows on how Wall Street seems to have kind of soured on on the oil and gas as an investment. And are there some things that the operators can do themselves to try to lure them back in and, and changing, you know, how they do business. Perception is, is, as you mentioned earlier, extremely important. When we get back from break, you know, I do want to get into that topic on uh, what are these energy companies doing to do their share to reach what the public is demanding in the way of uh, how they operate, their license to operate, and, of course, will that attract Wall Street? But we do have to take a quick break. You're listening to in the Oil Patch Radio Show, and we'll be right back. Plan your next meeting or event at Victoria College's Emerging Technology Complex, home to the -the state-of-the-art conference and education center, conveniently located between Houston and Corpus Christi. The center hosts meetings, educational workshops, and banquets for up to 300 people with the latest in technology amenities and ample parking. Let their professional meeting planners make your next event a success. For more information, go to conferenceinvictoria.com. Once again, that's conferenceinvictoria.com. Hey, you. Do you want to join the fastest growing oil and gas network in Texas? Ma'am, I'm all for growing my business. So you've got my attention. What is it? TEAK is the Texas Energy Advocates Coalition. They hold business mixers to help businesses grow and network. Any cost to join? For the next 90 days, it's completely free. No charge to join. But they do want like-minded individuals to attend who are interested in growing their business and networking. Well, I want to join. Where should I go? Go to shalemag.com slash TEAK and click on the join link. 
enter your information, and we'll get you set up. Join the Texas Energy Advocates Coalition at shalemag.com slash teak today. Shale Oil & Gas Business Magazine provides services like print advertising and digital marketing. Our digital advertising services include website, email, radio, video, and social media. Shale also provides specialized web services from website management to search engine optimization and social media management. Visit our website, shalemag.com. Once again, that's shale, S-H-A-L-E, mag, M-A-G, dot com to learn more. back you're listening to in the old patch radio show our guest today is jack belcher and brent greenfield both with cornerstone energy solutions can't forget our editor of shell magazine david blackman is also joining us before the break we were you know really discussing the capital investment of what the energy sector has been facing at wall street and um you know perception let's get into some details on the esg issue this is another big one for your firm to tackle, and uh, I think the energy as a whole. Tell us a little bit about what is the ESG issue, and why is it so important for companies to think about how they're going to deal with public perception and, of course, you know how they're operating? Sure. Well, ESG, environmental social governance, is a way that uh, investors uh, look at the performance of publicly traded companies primarily in their, their performance in those three areas, environment, uh, social, and their governance. Um, and so this has become a, a, an important issue for a lot of the investor, investor community. Um, ESG uh, companies are rated on their ESG performance, and um, a lot of companies see this as a way to attract uh, different types of investors, and it's increasingly becoming important to the broader investment community. ESG is also a way to address uh, the capital flight that we were talking about away from uh, fossil energy. Uh, companies that perform uh, are that are in the top quartile or are top performers in their peer groups, for instance, um, have a better chance of, of reaching a lot of those investors that are basing their investment decisions on that performance. And that counters some of the um, movement of, of investment away from the oil and gas sector, for instance. So companies are working on improving the performance in this area. Increasingly, we see um, this happening across uh, the oil and gas business, um, across the spectrum of, of the value chain. Um, ESG is uh, it justifies in investments in addressing environment and climate change challenges. Uh, so it's a way to uh, that companies are focused on some of these issues. It's increasingly linked to value crea- creation and risk mitigation. Um, so, not only is it addressing these things from an image perspective, but it's actually contributing, uh, in a lot of cases, to the bottom line, to value creation and, and, and reducing uh, risk. And it's and, and it's helping companies address issues like flaring. Um, we're we're hearing um, increasing attention being drawn to flaring internationally, uh, and as well as in the U.S., especially flaring that's going on in the Permian Basin. So. Um, EDF, Environmental Defense Fund, recently started using advanced uh, emissions monitoring to in the Permian to map methane emissions, and they're going to be using satellite data to identify and report flaring. So this is a big area for um, a lot of spotlight being put on the industry. And so how companies address things like flaring 
that's part of your ESG performance. That's one example of, of, of an issue that can be dealt with, uh, and dealing with it will enhance your ESG performance. Yeah, Kim and I talk about flaring almost every week on the show. We sure do. Uh, it's, it's just this crazy issue. I mean, we, we, we had a company at the Railroad Commission uh, in October that had already been hooked up to a sales line but was still filing extensions on its permit to flare gas at the well that's already hooked up to a sales line. And, and it, it, the industry just cannot continue to do that kind of thing without suffering you know, negative PR consequences at the very least. And uh, it's just hard to hard to figure out why why some of these companies continue to do the things they do on flaring. So absolutely. So let's 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 talk about climate change and, and doing their fair share. Um, it's heavily you know we know that uh, this issue is uh, front and center. It's an international debate, if you will, over climate, and of course uh, operators here doing things that are definitely not a positive for the environment as well as uh, in the public square, if you will. How much do you guys see this is an ongoing issue in 2020 in terms of policy uh, proposals? How much of operators' lack of discipline in this area is going to affect them in 2020? Well, it's only accelerating as an issue, as a policy issue globally and increasingly in the U.S. Um, We're seeing it as not just a polarizing issue uh, in Congress, for instance, or the two political parties, because Republicans are are increasingly becoming more involved in policies that address the climate change. So there have been a number of many hearings over the last two years. That's only increasing. Of course, in an election year, less is likely to get done, but there's certainly going to be a lot of discussion about climate change. We're already seeing it as an election issue. Um, so... You know, it's going to be um, uh, increasingly an issue impacting uh, producers uh, and, and, and increasingly um, starting to affect um, policy. Um, some of those policies uh, will, in, in the future, likely become law, but we're not seeing that in the short term. Um, probably after the election, um, this time around, we're probably going to see more activity in Congress. And then, of course, the administration can take actions as well impacting climate change. So so um, one of the solutions to climate change is natural gas. And in the United States, we've seen our emissions overall in the U.S. Um, decrease, our greenhouse gas emissions decrease. And a big part of that is due to the increased use of natural gas. That's a story we need to be doing a better job of telling because natural gas is, is being um, certainly um, uh, discussed more often as a uh, contributor to climate change than it is to a, a solution. Um, and obviously this is going to be important globally as the U.S. Um, exports its natural gas around the world. And that natural gas displaces coal and other forms of, of energy um, in the emerging world. So that's an important um, thing that needs to be discussed uh, in this whole uh, debate about climate change. And just building off of what Jack was talking about, there are clearly areas that are more controversial and, and more divisive when it comes to policy discussions in, in Washington around the country, and carbon pricing is one of them. But this is an area where we are seeing some coalescing around ideas among Republicans and Democrats, and in some cases more than ideas on issues related to climate. And we can look at anything from support for technology and innovation 
uh, for example, the area of carbon capture. There's a new National Petroleum Council report that just came out with recommendations for bringing carbon capture utilization and storage up to scale. We think this is an area that can see some bipartisan action moving forward. In the offshore space, an area that I spent a lot of time in, we've already seen Democrats and Republicans coming together with laws being signed in recent years in areas such as marine debris, dealing with ocean acidification, and also support for partnerships to address regional issues uh, through regional ocean partnerships uh, through groups such as the Gulf of Mexico Alliance. So those are just a few of the areas that, again, while we're seeing areas in the climate discussion uh, that are going to bring um, a lot of debate uh, and, and, and a lot of getting tied against each other, uh, we are seeing areas of, of common ground where, where groups are coming together and parties are coming together to, to get some things done. Well, let's hope we do for the sake of the industry. Jack Belcher, Brent Greenfield, and, of course, our editor, Shell Magazine, David Blackman. Thank you for being a guest on the show, David. Thank you for sticking with us through this segment. We look forward to having you back in the new year in which we will be talking about the presidential campaign and how it's relating to the uh, topic of energy. Thank you for joining us on the show today. In the Oil Patch is where, together, we explore topics that affect us all in oil, gas, business, and in your community. Every week, your host, Kim Bilotto, will visit with the movers and shakers in this fast-paced industry. You'll hear from industry experts, elected officials, and many more right here on In the Oil Patch. 